Have you ever taken a moment to challenge yourself with the questions, am I doing what I am meant to do or am I doing what I can do? Because you are meant for more. You have a purpose, a greater calling. And I was challenged the last few weeks with those questions by my guest today, Curtis Honeycutt. Curtis is an expert in helping people identify their true calling, to identify their true identity, what makes you, you. He has an amazing framework that will help you identify your values, your priorities, and your ambitions so that you can truly make a difference in your family, in your business, and in your community. A difference that is in alignment with who you truly are. I'm excited for you to dive into this conversation today with Curtis Honeycutt. You are listening to the Dads Making a Difference podcast, the number one podcast for men driven to live a life of significance. Men who want to make a difference in the lives of their families, in their business, and in the world around them. My name is Cam Hall, founder of Fight the Dabot and leader of the Dads Making a Difference Mastermind. Thank you so much for spending time with me today. Now, let's dive in. Hello, my friend. Welcome to this episode of the Dads Making a Difference podcast. My name is Cam. I'm your host, founder of the Dads Making a Difference Mastermind, and I am excited today to bring you into a conversation I've been having with Curtis Honeycutt. Curtis is a mentor to me. He's a young guy, but he's a mentor to me, and this is how I have been having conversations with Curtis over the last few weeks, and I look forward to future conversations over the next couple months where I'll be working with Curtis as he challenges me to get really clear on who I am asking me questions that make me uncomfortable, making me vulnerable. And we're going through this process together of identifying values and priorities and ambition and aims and goals. But he does it in a way that I've never experienced before. I've been through this process. I'll be honest. I've been through this process, the mission process, the vision process. But there's something about Curtis's approach that has just taken it to the next level. And so I knew I had to bring him on the podcast for you to hear insight from him he is an amazing guy. Yeah, he's in an amazing situation right now, moving into a new place with his young family. And I'm glad that he had some time today to jump on, record this episode, and speak into your life to challenge you to identify your values, your priorities, so that you can be the man you want to be. So you can be a dad making a difference, a difference in your family, a difference in your community, and in your business. And of course, the world around you. So without further delay, here is my conversation with Curtis Honeycutt. Curtis, welcome to the Dads Making a Difference podcast, brother. Matt, it's good to see you today. Welcome. Good to see you too. I appreciate you having me on. Curtis, we were able to speak earlier this week. I learned so much about you in that call and you challenged me in that call as well. And I'm looking forward to sharing a bit about that later on in our conversation. But having you here today is special to me because I've had an opportunity to see you speak in person. I've now been able to connect with you on a couple of calls like this over the computer. And every time uh, I'm just, I just am drawn in by the words that you share and your story. And I walk away challenged and I hope our listeners today will walk away challenged and drawn in so they can dive into more of your story. But why don't we start there, Curtis? Why don't you share a little bit uh, with us about your story, who you are, where you came from, uh, maybe what life was like and where you find yourself right now. Yeah, I'll give you a, a little bit of background. So I, uh, from Southern Maryland originally, 
um, grew up there. And like, as far as what I wanted to do, like later in life trajectory, I had no idea. So didn't really grow up in the church. Um, like my mom would kind of drag me sometimes. Uh, my dad ran a small business. So I decided for a while that I was going to work for him and maybe take over the company business. Uh, mom was in the government. No, I didn't want to do that. I couldn't sit behind a desk. But then I just kind of, I was an idiot, man. Honestly, I was like, I was smoking a lot of weed. I was hanging out with any girl that I could find. And I was, I was being dumb. And around 20, um, I think it was when I heard of, I heard about Paul J. Meyer, this guy that earned this insane amount of money and gave 90% of it away. And he was an insurance. I was like, I'm going to do that. And I started selling insurance and I hated it. <laughs> like I couldn't, I couldn't get through the paperwork to get somebody an annuity or like I, man, I, I just dreaded it. Um, but during that time I was flat broke. Mm. I couldn't afford rent anymore. So I had moved in with my grandparents. So I'd pay like 300 bucks a month. And, but during that time, my best friend got diagnosed with leukemia. Okay. So I'm, I'm five, four and what, like you've met me in person. I'm tiny. My best friend is six foot nine black dude, Anthony Anderson. He was playing D1 at Morgan state and he got diagnosed with leukemia and dropped down to 135 pounds at six foot nine. And for him, like for me, I was really focused at that time. I had no money. So the most important thing in my life was like making money so that I could like prove people wrong. And I got all these other reasons that were dumb and incomplete, insufficient. Um, and then I watched this guy get everything taken from him. Like he was trying to go to the NBA and now he can't even walk. Like he can't get out of bed. He's in a hospital, bone marrow transplants. And, um, I, for me, it like, it shook me in my core watching the fact that he had more peace and he had more joy than I did in my life. Wow. And like it, it shifted something for me because during that time, like while he had cancer, he had battled for you know, five or six years. He's doing well now. Um, we actually both married like five foot eight Swedish women. So <laughs> hilarious. We're complete opposites, but um, we married similar people. Um, but during that period of time with watching him, I also had a handful of mentors that all had cheated on their spouses and were getting divorces. Mm. And like, these are people that I watched on stage that were you know, I saw as like these larger in life, larger than life figures. And I, I got to this point where it was like, I would rather have the joy that Anthony has in a hospital bed than be those guys that had what I thought I wanted to have. Um, wow. And and just flipped everything. So I ended up, I had started making money and traveling and speaking, but I felt like I wasn't telling people the whole story. I was teaching them how to make money, but I wanted to teach them. Like I had finally found that thing that Anthony had. I'd found my faith, I had found this relationship with Jesus. And I was like, I, I want to pursue this above anything else. And I went to Australia for the year, which is where I met Matilda, my wife, um, and came back and we started a church and we grew the church and um, thought I was going to come back and just make a bunch of money and give it away. But uh, we, you know, like $2 million building, big church plant. We started 501c3 outside with all this cool stuff going on. But in that kind of time frame we we realized that that wasn't what we were going to focus on that's not what we were going to do so we had been working with some businesses and helping them on the side doing leadership development with this network of churches new life in um in southern maryland and uh we felt like god was telling us to sell our house so 
Uh, we sold our house and we bought a fifth wheel and we renovated it. And in the middle of renovation, like I, I have a, a wife, a daughter and a, a, a wife that's pregnant now. Okay. Um, and we are in the middle of renovating an RV, renting out a basement apartment. And during that time, uh, my brother is murdered. Oh, so I have my family like out of their house. Like my wife's from Sweden. So like outside of anything kind of like normal completely just being in America. And now I have her in a basement and I'm renovating this waterlogged fifth wheel, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, and then I get that news and man, the stuff that over the next, that was May, 2021. Um, and then over the next, you know, year and a half up until this point, um, God just did something so beautiful in our family. My wife's pregnant again. We have, uh, Olivia and Lucas, another kid on the way, but we took the fifth wheel traveled the country. We've done some ministry with some pretty incredible people across the country and we're in Texas now and, and in transit to Sweden, it's been a whirlwind. So it's a little bit of where we've been, where we are now. Amazing. And you know, for those of you who are watching right now, Curtis is here and he's got these AirPods in. They are you're just settling into a new apartment. And we're we're about to start this interview. And he's like, Cam, I'm sorry, the Wi-Fi is off. Can I do this on my phone? And so like it's just so real, man. And and to hear your just a quick version of your story, which I've heard before, but man, I picture being a dad of a young girl. And a husband renovating this thing with this dream of going around and you hear that news of your of your brother. And mm-hmm. how did that impact you? Did you ever have like second thoughts about maybe we shouldn't do this? Maybe we, we shouldn't do that. I need to stay. Or did you ever doubt what your plan was together? Yeah, every day. <laughs> it's like yeah. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Is So here's what I was. There's a journal entry, right? It was uh, um, on May 9th, I think it was. I, like, I, I kind of have a, my routine is I wake up in the morning and in the morning I'll go and I'll just pick up scripture. I'll read, I'll write, and then I'll do some breathing and stretching and mobility, and then maybe go work out something like that. Um, but I got up this one particular morning and I wrote this journal entry called fragile. Mm. And that's what I titled it. And I started writing about how frustrated I was about renovating the RV. Cause I had never done anything like this before i didn't have the right tools i like didn't have the experience nothing uh so i'm i write this journal entry and i'm like i'm just honestly i'm just bitching about the fact that i don't know how to renovate this rv yeah, yeah and then i'm talking about how fragile the rv is and i said it's so fragile and it's obvious right because it's this like it's a cardboard box it feels like but what's not as obvious is the fact that everything else in my life is just as fragile. I could lose my wife tomorrow. I could lose my daughter. I could lose my son. I could, I didn't have my son at the time, but I just started listing all these people I love that I could lose. And then I said, well, what can I do? Like, well, I guess I can suck it up and learn carpentry. I guess I can love my wife. Like it's the last day I'll ever see her, I guess. And then I wrote out this prayer and I said, God, thank you for clarity. And thank you for peace. Uh, About a month after I wrote that, I went and read the date that I wrote that and realized I wrote it the morning that my brother was murdered. Wow. The morning of the morning. So it's like he was preparing me that day for, but the whole, the whole 
like last two years has been like that since we sold the house it's been littered with those moments of like what am i doing right now with this just incredible grace and these breakthrough moments that have made us stronger made our family stronger and it's just it's done something that i could never have like manufactured or figured out with any kind of strategy on how to like strengthen us and give us joy and make us strong as a family and been incredible so yeah i <laughs> doubt it every day um even while we were taking the trip dude i was in beautiful places like sitting there looking out the window like what am i doing right? yeah you know but yeah. yeah you know as a young guy who you said was motivated by chasing some money and then you got into insurance and then into the ministry and you're planting churches and doing this and now you're out on the road you know we feel as fathers that is our duty to do so many things. It's our duty to provide. It's our duty to give safety, to be present, to be intentional. And I have camped with my family. We are campers. And the longest we have spent together on the road was five weeks. And we had a pop-up trailer and we lived and we did this four years in a row when the kids were a little bit younger and we loved it. But there was a point in that journey every year where it was like, I need my own space. Yeah. Like, yeah. I need my own space to process. I need my own practices to put my needs first right now. I'm going to be selfish. Like, yeah, man, as I think about you in a fifth wheel on the road, traveling the country, you know, did you experience that? Did you ever feel like, man, I just need, I just need me. I just need me right now. Yeah. My wife, she, so I'm, I'm like naturally an introvert. I like, I get all my energy being by myself. I, I'm, I hunt back in Maryland. I just want to be in the woods. I want to be out on the river. I just want to be by myself. Yeah. Like that's where I get all my energy from. So my wife, even she can tell when I need it. And she's so great. She's just like, please just go, go, go work out, go run, go get out. Um, and it's, it's great. And I love it. But here's one of the things that actually happened on this trip is, like one of the things I value the most is my mornings because that's like, nobody else is awake. Nobody's bothering me. I wake up. It's quiet. I have my coffee. I have water. I'm, I'm moving. I'm breathing. I'm like recalibrating. I'm like getting back in touch with like, this is just recalibrate. It's the best. Um, during that trip, Olivia would wake up really early and I couldn't leave the house. Olivia is my daughter. So I remember at the beginning of the trip, like we were traveling up from Maryland to uh, Western South Dakota. And I remember I'd hear those little footsteps at like six o'clock in the morning. And I've only had like 40 minutes to myself. And I'm like, it's not enough. Not and typically I'd like, I'd go hide. Like I'd get out of the house. I would, but I couldn't by the end of that trip, the favorite, my favorite part of the day was those footsteps. Like it completely shifted. It went from, and I still had my time, right? Like I would still go for long runs. I would still go get lost in the woods. I would still, I would find my time. But I also like, I also realized that I had this routine that I was tying myself to more than I was tying myself to what I actually cared about and valued most. Wow. And so my mornings went from like this contempt toward my daughter for waking up and being happy. Yeah. to like the best thing that I could do was set down the book I was reading or set down my journal or stop stretching and just to look her in the eyes and go make her breakfast and cuddle with her and talk to her. Um, and yeah, that, that 
that shifted my perspective on the trip. I love that. I love the shift in perspective. We've all been there. We've all been there where like we have a plan in our head and maybe we haven't vocalized mm-hmm. it, but we want, Hey, this three to four o'clock in the afternoon is my time. And then it gets, <laughs> a kid pops in. I told like right before our call, I said, well, my son might pop in because my son loves to knock on the door and come in when we're recording episodes, but he will never do it any other time. Like it's only <laughs> during this time, but you know, you, you, you said you had a shift in perspective. And I think about why I connected with you a few weeks ago and our conversation this, this past week that had to do with a shift of perspective. And you have a skill set. You have a passion for helping men really get clear on identity. Uh, and I think about when you say shift in perspective, I think even our short conversations that we've had, you've forced me to start to shift my perspective on how I view things, talking about values and principles and ambition. Um, so right now, why, why don't you, you share with us like why you are where you are right now? Because you're not, not pastoring a church. Uh, you're not you know, traveling the country right now. You've settled in for a little bit. What's happening right now? Yeah, so right now, we um, one of the things that we thought was true was that we're going to end up in Sweden. Mm. And um, the one, there's a couple of reasons. One is I, I, my wife, we met in Australia, and she came here, and I told her, I said, I'm, when we have the financial means where I can, you know, support us, and then when you have your citizenship and it's time, like we're going to go to Sweden. So there's, it's an honor and promise, but it's also like, we kind of have this dream of like going back to where there's the, also this piece of it to where it's just like seeing your spouse in their, like in their environment. Like you're different when you're around your best friends than when you're like at the ISI event, because at the ISI event, you have good friends around, right? There's brothers around. But like when you're with your friends from that you're friends in high school with and you guys are sitting in a garage, like just hanging out, like, I don't know, punching a heavy bag, whatever. You're, like, it's just different. So seeing her in that environment is really special. So I want to live there so I can feel like I can understand it, but also it's missional for us. Mm-hmm. So one of the reasons that um, we aren't pastoring that church any longer and I started doing what I'm doing now for work was um, one, because church wise, you don't just go to a place like that now in Europe and like start a church and put a building there and they send out flyers and people show up. It's like life built around the table. You got to add value to the economy. You got to add value to people. You have to really get to know people, which takes a lot of effort. Like they're 50 years past where we are right now, as far as post Christian culture. So that was a big piece of it. And um, over the last couple of years, I started, taking something that helped me and I was working with different pastors and working with churches and started helping a couple businesses. And that started to just kind of build out a framework that we started to use. And it started to help people because for me, once I had those mentors that had cheated on their spouses and were like, started doing all this crazy stuff, I was like, I can't turn into that. So I stopped setting these goals for here's the stuff I want. Like I burnt my vision board, right? Like you know, Ferrari in the, yeah, yeah. In the house. I was like, nope. So for me, it became, I wrote this four page document on the man I want to become. And my goal was like, I'm going to read it every day. And it lasted like two days. And I was like, I don't want to read this. Yeah. 
but over time, like each quarter, as I would review my quarter, I would consolidate this like essay that I wrote and I consolidated it into a sentence. And it was, I will be willing at any moment to sacrifice uh, who I think I am for who God created me to be. And like that one sentence started to define a lot of my yeses and my nos. And over time, it that developed this list of like values and this list of priorities. And like, this is who I am. And it just made decision making so much easier and so much smoother. So I had friends that were like struggling with how to make decisions yeah. um, and how to like feel free enough to spend time with their family and not feel like they were neglecting some legacy you know, where their family is that like, but it's helping people kind of work through that. And that actually just turned into a business. So now I get to do that. And it's, I feel like it's the best thing ever. Uh, But we also started a ministry. So we have like these tiny little churches scattered around the country and they'll meet in jujitsu gyms and coffee shops. And so the pastors don't take income. They're just discipling people and giving the money away to mission. And I love it. Yeah. Incredible. Um, So you've created this framework. You've created this framework and you're doing it as a business now. And if you're listening to this right now, I want to let you know that I'm about to dive into this framework with Curtis. I couldn't be more excited to do this. Um, Do you mind diving into the framework? Because the guys listening to this right now, they're like, okay, it sounds a little bit interesting. What do you mean values? What do you mean principles? And uh, I, I mentioned ambition, like these things, we hear the words, but we don't really know what they mean. And you have a very unique way of articulating it in a way that it hit home for me that really forced me to maybe reflect on what I've done before when I've, I've created personal mission statements and branding and, you know, the, the <laughs> manifesto that this is what I'm going to do. And this is what we stand for. But when you approach it the way that you approach it, um, I think it's challenging. I think it's great. Do you mind diving in and, and yeah. the sort of like values, like what are we talking about when we're talking about values? Hey guys, I wanted to take a moment and talk about our community of DMD brothers in the DMD mastermind. We are men who help each other to stay focused and intentional in our pursuits of personal, professional, physical, financial, emotional, and spiritual growth. We are a community of men who bring courage, wisdom, and transparency to unfiltered conversations that challenge us to be more impactful men, to be Dad's making a difference. We do this through our online and in-person events where men come together to speak into each other's lives and then turn around and do the deep work to create change in their families, in their businesses, and in the community around them. If you are wondering if this community might be right for you, you can find more information on the DMD Mastermind and you can also book a call directly with me at dmdmastermind.com. Now, let's get back to our show. Yeah. Uh, so, like, that's this, this big question, especially, like, in my generation. It's like, who am I? Yeah. <laughs> it who turns into, like, this, this... Yeah, it turns into, like, this hippie conversation <laughs> of, like, I got to find myself. But, like, I, like th- there is this intrinsic thing. Like, my, I believe we were created and woven together and designed, right? And that... If that's true that I was designed, then there's also truth that if I find those pieces of design that I have and I can operate in accordance with my design, I'm going to find what we are calling flow state. Like I'm going to find that constantly in my life. And I feel like we're constantly because I'm, I'm bombarded with 
like the way that Joe Rogan lives his life or the way that this pastor lives his life or the way that this leader lives his life, like these people that I'll emulate, I never slowed down enough to actually start to figure out this is the way that I'm wired and then to just run in accordance with the way that I'm wired. So like I was so insecure growing up that I chased everybody else's idea of what I was supposed to be. And I felt like, like there was this actually the form of torture back in the day it was called distraction. And they would put a horse to each limb and rip a person apart. And the word was distraction like that. I was completely distracted. So, um, you read Edgar Allan Poe at all? Have you ever yeah. read any of his stuff? Yeah, yeah. Um, he has this uh, this short story called Silence. Okay. And have you read that one? I have not. Ah, uh, okay. So I'll give you like the clip notes. So essentially, there's this this dude on top of a hill, right? Like the picture of silhouette of a man, and then there's a, a demon trying to get a rise out of the man, like trying to get him to react. So the man is sitting on top of this hill and he's overlooking like this drab, bleak scenery. And there's like, it's a red hue and it's this like city. It's kind of the silhouette of just this like wasteland. Um, and the man's sitting there with his head in his hands and the demon's trying to get a rise out of him. So he sends like thunder and lightning. He clanks together metal. He like crashes the city. Nothing he does gets a rise out of the man. Nothing. So finally, like last ditch effort, he makes it absolutely, completely, eerily pin drop silent. Mm. And the man picks his head up out of his hands, looks around, like freaks out and runs away. And it was this idea of like this old, that old saying, like the problem with humanity is that a man can't be alone in a room by himself. Mm. Like we can't sit in the silence. We never actually sit there long enough and have the right questions asked to us or ask ourselves the right question to figure out that design because we're constantly grabbing at every other podcast and every other idea. And you never take the time to figure that piece out. So for me, it was like these core pieces that I wanted to leave behind in Olivia. Hmm. What do I, Lucas, my son, yeah. like I do this thing where like, I'll write out a, a eulogy where I write it from the perspective of Olivia. Wow. What is she going to say about dad when he's dead? Cause I've done eulogy exercises, but you do it like I'm writing my own eulogy, but it's different when I'm like, no, you talk about legacy. It's not just, I can leave Olivia a lot of money and I don't know what she's going to do with it. Yeah. But if there are character traits that I believe can infiltrate the earth and make it a place a little bit more like heaven on earth, what would those things be like? So I wrote that eulogy out and it started to extract like, well, I want to be somebody that's tenacious. I never let go of, of, of something that matters, of wisdom, always a student. And so like, I would take these core values. And when I did it at first, I had like words, just like integrity, joy, yeah. but it didn't mean anything when I went back and read it. Right. So like Ben Franklin had his 13 virtues that he would mm -hmm. live by. And there were like things like uh, temperance and industry, uh, chastity, um, these 13 things that order silence that he wanted to live by that he thought were the most important for him. I think his autobiography ended up even being like a letter to his son. So he's leaving those values in a letter to his son. It's beautiful. But one of the things that he did that I thought was so special was he attached statements to each word hmm. so that the word had this qualifier that meant something to him. So I started doing that with my values. And then from there, I was like, I started figuring out priorities, how I want to spend my time. Like what's, most important, what am I going to say yes to? And what am I going to say no to? And I use the analogy that I learned from my grandfather when I play golf, right? I'm not 
not good at golf. I'm actually taking my first ever golf lesson next week, okay. um, which I'm excited about. But uh, I suck at golf, but I used to go with my granddad. And he had that like old man half swing where he's like barely moving back, barely like bad knees, straight bad every hits, time. bad every as straight every shoots <laughs> a solid like 86, 87, just made it look so easy. Uh, but he would make me do this thing, like he'd stand back from the ball and I'd I get the lay of the land, right? It's like, okay, there's there's water here, there's there's danger if I if I go that way, there's sand trap here, it's dog leg right. This is this is where I want to head to. After I kind of took in all the information, I would walk up, I'd get set up at the ball and he would take like something that was laying on the ground. There was usually like a leaf or the head of a tee and he would lay it like a foot to two feet in front of the ball. And he'd say, now forget everything that you just figured out. Now you're lined up. You've done the work to understand that you're standing in the right place. Now swing smooth, hit the ball over the leaf. That's your only job right now. And that for me became like, I didn't know how to set goals. I didn't know how to get down to what's most important for me to do today. How do I say yes? How do I say no to certain things? How do I know that it's more important to drop my journal than to spend time with my daughter? Some things are intrinsic where we just know it's most important. Other things, it's like, man, it takes time sitting back in the silence, figuring all those things out, looking at the sand traps, looking at the water traps, figuring out, well, these people did this. I don't want that. And then doing the work so that when I start my day and I plan my day, it's attached to my identity, not just attached to what I think I said I wanted six months ago that I'm latching onto because I did a goal setting seminar. So So that's kind of how I started to like, it shifted for me. And that's a bit of the framework we walked through. So good. It's so good. And (laughs) if you're listening now, you know why I'm doing this with Curtis, because this is so good. And it's just, it's a shift. It's, It's a shift from what we've heard before when it comes to like, what are your values? List your top 10 values. And you said like, you could say, integrity and honesty and you have these words but there's no there's no substance to it there's mm-hmm. no substance to it it's a shell and even like what you challenged me to do uh writing this eulogy and i'm writing it through you know my son's perspective and it's like one of the hardest things i've ever done and i'm not gonna lie it's a bit emotional too right because it also tells you a little bit about your mortality and that i won't be here mm-hmm. forever um, yeah but for for you, what was, what was the shift? You know, your, your grandfather had this practice that he did and you've taken that into this and it's influenced that, but what was the shift for you that said, no, I need substance. I don't need these. And no offense to anybody who makes smart goals, but I don't need smart goals that these things that have no meaning to them. They, they're words that I put on paper. So my coach, my mentor, my boss, whatever said, yep, check done. It doesn't hit me here. It doesn't hit me in the chest. It doesn't hit me where it matters most. What was the shift for you? Yeah. For me, it was, it was studying history. Mm. Like I, I, I took this class when I was in Australia and the title of the class was you either die a hero or live long enough to see yourself become the villain. They titled it from Batman, which I thought was awesome. Uh, the, but the, the course was a study of the old Testament Kings. And they were people that started out well-meaning, not all of them, a bunch of them started out and they were just douchebags from day one. But there was a whole group of them that started out with very, very pure motives and good intentions. 
And over time, they got corrupted. Over time, they failed. Over time, they they went back on things that they promised they would never do. They and so like I started studying Solomon and in Nathan or Solomon and David. Like that was the difference between Solomon and David, right? Like King Solomon, if you don't know, like King Solomon was the wisest, the richest, like he was the guy. But he also, if you look, every decree God gave him at the beginning of his kingship, he went completely again. He did the opposite of everything that he said he wasn't going to do. He did the opposite of all of it. And there's no account of anybody ever calling him out. There's no account of anybody ever saying, hey, dude, you're wrong. And then over time, he became this guy that wrote, you know, Ecclesiastes, which is this, this whole thing of like, life is a vapor. Life is meaningless. Life is which is actually one of my favorite books in the Bible. There's so much amazing stuff in there. But then you have King David. King David had Nathan. Nathan confronted him. He repented. He completely turned. He shifted. David ended up a man after God's own heart. Like they had different legacies that they left. So I started through this process of studying history. I started reading books from people like Leo Tolstoy. You familiar with him? Russian philosopher. Oh my gosh, man. But he just, the way that he chewed on mortality and the way that he chewed on what people call progress and success. Like you start looking at people like that and you start finding these patterns with people that like, I started to get settled with the fact that it's okay if a bunch of people look like they're winning right now, because a lot of people that I know, if you look through history, there's all these people that looked like they were winning, but they set their kids up for failure or they look like they were winning, but they screwed up in the long run. Like they, they tried really hard, but they cheated. They tried really hard, but they blew all their money. So I just started trying to find patterns. And in that, it's like, you really just start to realize that people that don't understand history and don't, they're not as smart as they think they are and they can be certain and they can be sure. But I think it gave me this certainty with like, no, this is, this is who I am. And then, this is who I'm not. So I'm just not going to do those things, period. And I'm just going to trust that process and realize that I'm not smarter than what history is telling me. I love it. And I love that you ended with that line. I'm not smarter than what history is telling me. But if you're listening to this, you can obviously tell Chris is a really smart dude because it, you know, you've, you have done the research, man, you're Tolstoy, Edgar Allan Poe, you're making reference to these. And to be honest, yeah, I've read it, but because I was told I had to like most people are familiar with the work because at some course or something they've took at some period in time, they were forced to read this and you dove into this willingly to look for the signs to see what works, what worked, what doesn't work. And the best thing, one of the best things that I love about this in our conversation earlier this week was that you, this framework that you have for values and principles and ambition came from what you put into practice based on the research and what you do. Like, this is what you do. It's not like you're out there just like, I'm going to create this to sell it. That was never the intention, was it? No, this wasn't the plan. No, No, which is fantastic. It's genuine. It's meaningful. And so you go through the ideas of like, what do I value? But what's the difference between like principles and values? Yeah. So, uh, so priorities and values. Sorry, so with priorities like values, values. Yeah. Values is like, this is, this is who I am. These are these principles that I'm going to live by. Uh, Dr. Andy Garrett, yeah. mutual friend. He says, it's like, 
it's the, the, um, the, the, I think he says it's the principles or it's the pieces that you want to leave the ultimate good that you want to leave awesome. with the world. Like that's values priorities for me. And that list the values it's, um, for me when I create it, like it's, it's aspirational, meaning it's, there's certain things that I don't have yet, but I really want like tenacity mm-hmm. for yeah. me is on my list. Yeah. Uh, tenacity in all things worthwhile is the statement that I'll, I use for mine, but it's because I had quit everything that started. Yeah. And I was like, I can't, I feel like crap every time I do that. So I can't be that person. So it's like, there's an aspirational side and an actual side to the, the values. When I set up priorities, it's fully aspirational. It's, this is how I want to make decisions and spend my time. So like, I'll give you an example. Uh, my number one is my relationship with God. Number two is my relationship with my wife. Number three is my relationship with my kid. Like this is important. And with these distinctions, because as I pursue God, it strengthens my marriage. My marriage being strong strengthens my ability as a father, rather than bypassing my relationship with my wife and going straight to my relationship with my kids. Right. And, and over time, creating this, this tension and disunity in the marriage, because the best thing that I can do for my children, I believe, is to connect them to the vine of who Jesus is and what he's called us to by connecting with God. And as I do that, oh man, the way it strengthens my marriage. So when they can look at my marriage and see a picture of that relationship with Jesus, they have a tangible thing in their hand that they can always glean on as they grow up on what it looks like and what, so, so it's in that order. But then like after that, it's, uh, I used to have my calling which for me was career. It was like, cause it's anything I did, whatever I chose to do work-wise, it's always going to be out of calling. Like this is just, it's intrinsic and I may make a million dollars. I may make, you know, 50 grand a year. I don't care. I like, I'm doing that thing. So, and then it was friends and family. And then it was mental and physical health. And then it was finances. I take my mental and physical health very, very seriously. I put a lot of time and effort into it. But for me, those things, I needed a reminder every quarter when I go back, I need that reminder that my calling and my friends and family are priority. But here's something that happened like over time. This is how priorities start to shift. My, uh, my, I had this moment, I won't give all the details of the story, but yeah. my sister, I was on a call with a bunch of leaders and I was like low on the totem pole in the room, but I was facilitating the meeting. So it was like, it was important for me work-wise. And, um, my sister went to go come into the room, talk to me. I didn't realize I was on the phone and I could see her face was red and she kind of ran out of the room. And, um, I, without thinking really, I said, I got to go. And I closed my laptop and I went and grabbed her and we sat there and we started talking and she's like, I don't want to bother you while you're working. And then we cried and we laughed. And that night I crossed out friends and family under calling and I put calling slash friends and family hmm. because that priorities list for me, it's, it's not this like set in stone. This is how I spend my time. It is this thing that it needs to be a reminder. Every single time I go to set goals, the word, uh, it's either Hebrew or Greek. Dr. Anna Garrett taught me this. It's either Hebrew or Greek. The word for man uh, is uh, someone who remembers who he is. And it's like, you want to be able to constantly look in a mirror every quarter when you're setting these clear goals on like, how do I want to spend my time? What am I I, being a pastor? I spent enough time with people that were dying to where you start to figure out what people regret and what they don't. 
nobody's ever regretted that real investment they made in their friends and their family and realizing that that was their first calling and that was the ultimate good they could leave. Hmm. So that's kind of the difference between values and priorities. The way that I see it at least. Excellent. I love it. Um, so guys listening to this values, priorities, if they're starting to do this on their own and they're just like, oh, mm-hmm. I, I think I need to give this some thought, where do they start? Like, what are the first things they should do? Man, write that. You'll, there's a couple exercises. And again, I'll keep referencing Dr. Andy Garrett, but him and I, he had like the clinical side of this and I had like the, the street version of it yeah. to where I was just like figuring it out on my own and reading these old books. And he, you know, he, he has his PhD but we kind of met in the middle on a lot of it. And um, so one of the exercises that we have in common is a eulogy exercise, but do that eulogy exercise, write write your own eulogy, write it from the perspective of the person you find most precious in your life. So if you don't have kids, maybe it's a niece or nephew, or, you know, maybe this podcast in particular, maybe you do have kids, but like, okay, just pick your favorite kid. Just kidding. Kind of pick, pick the kid that you look at and it's just the most precious one to you. For me, it's my daughter, my son, doesn't sleep well he's one he's more annoying than olivia so (laughs) like she's the most precious so i picked her um and then like i did a future self journal entry so i just picked the timeline like 10 years in the future and i just put myself like in montana writing this journal entry at a cabin and just kind of like those exercises to get you to kind of dream and to really understand like this is who i want to become and the ultimate like in that eulogy exercise you figure out these are the things that I would never regret becoming. And like that future journal entry, you look back and it's like, and this is, these are the things that I would never regret doing with my time. Mm -hmm. And you can just start to kind of build out that list and have a framework. And then at the very least, like I like the 12 week year, I love setting goals quarterly. Mm -hmm. So we have, you know, there's a gap there for what we do. We work through five-year vision, these target areas, one-year vision target areas. But even if you just had that, and use that values and priorities. We have an ambition statement as well. If you use that to go and set your goals, at least you have this reminder of, okay, I have these five different benchmarks that I want to hit for business, but I haven't gotten anything set up for what I want to do with my family. It's like, man, this gut hanging over this belt is not cool, but I'm setting all these financial goals, but I'm saying finances is priority number five or six for me. Mm-hmm. I'm neglecting my family. I'm getting fat. Like I should probably put something on there for this next quarter and take it serious and get some accountability around me. So it really just starts to remind you of those things so that they don't get out of hand. Excellent. So I challenge all the guys listening to this right now to write that eulogy. I'm doing it right now. Um, it is a man, it is a process and I'm, I'm driven by process. I love it. I love this growth <laughs> process. Um, for you, your dad, your husband, yeah. who just moved in this new apartment. As a dad right now, what is one area of growth that you are excited about right now or you're digging into? I yelled at my daughter this morning for spilling milk. Mm-hmm. Um, we are in the middle of selling this RV. Uh, we just moved in here. I got a bunch of deals we're working on. Um, we're building stuff out for the ministry. Um, and then the last couple of days, we're doing all our paperwork, get, kind of getting situated in Texas. So I had a hundred things swirling in my head. Lucas slept terrible last night, like from like 1 a.m., like every 30 minutes. You just, ah, and you just want to, like that pamphlet you get, don't shake the baby when you have your kids. You're like, I don't need that pamphlet. Yeah. And then that happened. And you're like, 
all right, that pamphlet's probably useful. <laughs> it's like, there's nothing else to do other than to take the baby. Um, so it's like all that stuff. So in the morning, Matilda's yeah. still sleeping because she was up with Lucas a bunch. I'm making the kids breakfast. And I'm, I made Lucas, I make these banana pancakes. It's just one egg, one banana, mash them up, grass-fed butter, throw it in the pan. The kids, I love them. They're amazing. I'll put protein powder in them, but not for Lucas. But I fed him that. Olivia said she wanted bread and cheese and berries. So I made her that. Yeah. And we sit down at the table. I pour her milk. And she said, I want those pancakes. So Olivia, I'm not getting the pancakes. You're eating what you asked for. And right when I sat it, she hit the milk and knocked it over and just full thing of milk and just went everywhere. Olivia. And I slammed the glass down on the table. And I have these moments where that happens and I kiss her on the forehead and I, I, I clean it up or I get her to help me and we clean it up together and we talk through what happened and we talk through, this is why we slide our glass back. But then I have those moments where I'm not present and I do things like that. Mm. So the best thing I could do was after that, shut my mouth, clean the milk up and then explain to her why it was wrong that I yelled at her kiss her on the forehead so it's like you're asking what i'm most excited about but it's like i can do something well for a month straight but then when that happens it's this it's the best thing i can do is constantly look inside here and figure out like what is it that's causing that and what was causing that wasn't my daughter knocking over me like she's three the the thing that was causing that was i was trying to get everything done in the next two or three days and have it all knocked out rather than, but I was putting this arbitrary timeline in my life that made me a a douche to my daughter. Mm. And for me, it's realizing those things more and more that I learned a lot on our trip and it's realizing those things and actually having the tools now to overcome that because I just, man, I, I believe that the best thing I can do for my daughter isn't even what I teach her. It's not what I say. It's, it's those things that my reactions reveal it's letting God work on those things. It's writing about them. It's processing them. It's, it's, it's figuring out what that is. And as those things shift, you now have something, a life to replicate into one of these little humans rather than like, you know, they say, or you should read this book or you should do this. It's like, they get to see this process of growth with you. And I think for me, that's the best part of parenting. It's this high, high accountability. And like scripture calls many children arrows in the quiver. I'm an archer. I like, I like archery. I have a bow. I, we I hunt with bow back home. Not great at it yet, but I'm getting better. And, but for me, that's what it is. It's like, it's, it's building up. It's building up these kids that are, that are, that are going to actually leave a real legacy in the future because of character traits that they have in them. Not some, you know, a, a school that I hoped would give them a curriculum or a pastor that I hoped would disciple my children, but something that we do together as a family and that we work through. Amazing. Thanks for sharing. Such a good story. We've been there, been there with the milk, been there yeah. with the apology, mm-hmm. been there with the this morning, man. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Curtis, I appreciate you being on here and sharing your framework and where guys can start. But if, Guys listening to this and they want to connect with you, where can they do that? Where they can they find more information about what you do? So I deleted all my social media. Um, so, but we have curtishoneycut.com and that'll have 
um, some information on ministry, some uh, I write some um, some information on just getting connected, any anything like that. Yeah, amazing. So yeah, I'll make sure that Curtis's website is down in the show notes, brother. Man, it's been a pleasure. I appreciate you taking the time today. Thanks for being here and, and speaking into our lives. Nah, thanks for having me, man. This was fun. Thank you for joining me today on this episode of the Dad's Making a Difference podcast. I hope you found value in today's show. And if it made a positive impact on you, please share it with someone you know, leave a five-star review, and subscribe so you don't miss out on upcoming episodes. I'm Cam Hall. Thank you for spending time with me today, and I will see you on the next episode of the DMD podcast.